For those of us remaining in the room, our scripture this morning comes from the book of Genesis. Maybe you've heard of it. It's the first book in your Bible. And turn to either the first or second page of your Bible, wherever you find verse 26. Let us receive the word of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you today and we offer ourselves in thanksgiving a little bit of our time, and hopefully all of our hearts. Here as we listen, as we reflect, as we think, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak directly to our hearts, that you would make plain to us the wonderful truths contained in the scriptures. God, I ask that you would bind my lips and my tongue that no false word might pass from them, but rather that you would move me aside completely, that you would be the one to speak. You would communicate with your eagerly listening sons and daughters here in this morning, that there would be something truly special that takes place, that the God, the maker of heaven and earth, would communicate with us. We are listening. We love you, God. Amen. Well, I want you to think about a special relationship. And I'm going to give a couple of clues and give you an opportunity to guess the relationship after each clue. The first clue is that it is a deeply loving relationship filled with 
desire, intense desire. No guesses, okay. Uh, Here's the next clue. Out of the five love languages, this relationship, this loving relationship, primarily deals in the love languages of quality time and physical touch. Spouse, okay, good guess. Child, parent, did you see, I hear parent-child, okay. The next clue is that this relationship is entirely one-sided. Parent-child, all of you were thinking it, one of you said it. Props to you, Allison. The last clue is that it's going to be displayed on the screens right now. A child and their teddy bear. Deeply filled with love and desire, physical touch and quality time, completely one-sided, a child and their teddy bear. Now, it's not always a teddy bear. Maybe it's a, a stuffed dog or a stuffed cat, or maybe it's not a stuffed animal at all. Maybe it's a blanket or just that special, special thing that when you were a child was your absolute favorite. And the classic thing about a child and their relationship to their favorite thing is you better not try to take that away. Anybody ever done that? Anybody ever tried to take it away? Do not take it away. When you take that special, special favorite thing away from your child, they will look at you with vitriol and grief and anguish. The lower lip goes down. The quivering starts. The water gates erupt forth from the eyeballs. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And when that happens, there's nothing that child wouldn't do to try and get that thing back. I I had one of these things when I was a baby. Uh, For me, I had a stuffed polar bear. Uh, His name is Bear. Very creative, I know. Um, His name is Bear. Uh, And I was given Bear, actually my mom was given Bear before I was born. It was from my grandmother, the first gift that she ever received for me. And so I came into this world, and from day one, moment one of my life, Bear was mine. And I slept with Bear every night for several years. Bear was my favorite. I've actually been given Bear twice in my life. The first time is the moment I was born. The second time is just a couple of years ago. On August 2nd, 2021, My wife, Kelsey, and I welcomed into the world our own firstborn son, Ellis. And my mom, as moms uh, often do, treasured this stuffed bear and kept it and gave it to me a second time when my son was born. It was very special to me. Uh, And so my wife and I gave bear to Ellis And Ellis couldn't care less about Bear. (laughs) Ellis could not care less about Bear. He does not actually have 
one favorite thing. But he does have this type of relationship. Ellis's favorite thing is something, anything that he can carry around with him all day. And he's had this sort of relationship with things since he was very, very young. Like, as soon as he, his hands could work, he would hang on to something. And it actually stopped him from learning how to crawl because he would try to go, but he would not let go of this one thing, whatever it was. It could be anything that fit in his hand. And so he eventually, when he did learn how to crawl, would crawl with one hand open and one hand with his little special favorite thing. And it kind of slowed him down. And, and then he leveled up. He leveled up because he realized I could be so much more efficient if I put this into my mouth. And then I can crawl with both my hands. And it terrified me because I was always worried. He, had the, these, uh, he has these transformers that transform between a robot and a letter of the alphabet. And the letter I fits so nicely into his mouth, and he would crawl around with the letter I in his mouth, and I would be so scared that he would fall and crash, and it would like poke in, into his throat or something, just something terrible, a choking experience. I had all these nightmarish visions, and so I was torn between the, the fear of his being in danger and this moment of taking away a child's favorite thing. He still has this relationship to things, but now that he can walk, he's a little over one and a half years old, his favorite thing is a rock. Any rock, as long as he can hold it in his hands. We go on a lot of walks as a family, and if we go around the block and we leave with zero rocks, we will come home with as many rocks as Ellis can carry and still walk. Uh, eventually, he'll ask to be held so he can hold more rocks. Uh, if you come over to our house, keep your shoes on because you'll probably step on some rocks. There are rocks everywhere. Ellis's favorite thing is a rock. And at the end of the day, when we put him to bed, we're faced with this terrible opportunity pretty much nightly. Do we let our son go to bed with a rock Or do we take it away and risk this moment? This moment of having his favorite thing stripped from him to where he will then do anything to get it back. I mean, he will jettison himself from your arms or attempt to, to get to his rock. Or anybody seen like the head throwback move that kids will do? You're holding them and they're like, and you're like, whoa, whoa, do you know what would happen if you won this battle? It would not be good. When the favorite thing is taken, they will do anything to get it back. This year, we have an annual theme for our worship together. We have an annual theme every year, actually, and this year our annual theme is first love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us first love. And so we've preached through first love in the series, How I Met the Father. On, on January 8th, Pastor Jason kind of introduced the theme to us and introduced the idea that first love could be read in many different ways. How I Met the Father, first love was talking about the first time that we experienced the love of the Father in our testimony, that first love moment, the first time that we experienced God's love as a father. 
And then in Lent, we preach through first love in the series, This I Know. Jesus loves me, this I know. There are so many things in the world that testify to the love that Jesus has for you, culminating in this Good Friday, Easter Sunday story, this cross and empty tomb moment. This, they bear witness together to the first love of Jesus. Theologically, first love in this I know is that Jesus loved you before you loved him. Right? We hear this in our communion liturgy. If you've been around for a communion Sunday, for, uh, you'll recognize this. Hear the good news, brothers and sisters. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. Jesus loves me, this I know. He loved me before I loved him. First love. Today we're kicking off a new series, God's Favorite. God's Favorite. First love in this way. You are God's first love. His favorite. Now in Genesis chapter 1, there are so many things that we could talk about together. Right? There's so many things in the creation song of Genesis chapter 1. We could talk about when it happened. Was it, was it 12,000 years ago? Was it 12 million years ago? Was it 12 billion years ago? We're not going to talk about that today. In the story, we could talk about how God chose to create the world by speaking. He spoke, and it was so. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. The, the theological principle of God's Word returning in power always and every time, but we're not going to talk about that this morning. We could talk about how God made, in the image of God, man and woman, and this, this equal value placed upon the male and the female. We're not going to talk about that this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about the who. Amongst all of creation, who is God's favorite. If you were to put all of creation lined up in like an Olympic award ceremony, podium sort of way, who would be God's first place love? It's the human race. Out of all of creation, the human race is what would stand on that highest podium. First place love. And we're going to prove it. And in fact... There's a lot of ways that we could prove it, a lot of evidences we could point to in Genesis chapter 1. By the way, this is like the hardest part about being a preacher is narrowing down your sermon to one sermon. Um, there are so many things that point to God's first love for the human race in Genesis chapter 1. You could look at it artistically. Genesis chapter 1 is a song, and you could look at how the song of creation grows and grows into this climactic moment as God creates the heavens and the earth and light and time and space and animals and plants and human beings. You could look at it literarily and how there's so much time in the Hebrew that given to uh, devoting words to what God did when he created human beings and speaking to human beings and, and the emphasis there, the weight between the creation moment of humankind versus the creation of everything else, it just doesn't even compare. You could talk about how at the end of each day of creation, God saw what he had made and it was good. But after the sixth day, the day on which he made man and woman, he said it was very good. 
But today we're going to focus on one thing, and it's in the first verse from the passage we read today, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Image and likeness. Out of all the creation, there's only one thing that God made that receives the image and likeness of God. And it's the human race. Men and women. We bear the imago Dei, the image and likeness of God. But what does that really mean? And is there a difference between these two words? Is it just a restatement of the same image and likeness? Or is there a unique meaning for each one? To answer the question, let's start with the Hebrew language. You ready to learn two words in Hebrew? The Hebrew word for image is selem. Everybody say that with me. Selem. It means image. The Hebrew word for likeness is the word demuth. Everyone say that with me. Demuth. What's the Hebrew word for image? And for likeness? Very good. Selem and demuth. Let's talk about Selem first. The way we're going to orient the rest of our time this morning is to talk about Selem and Demuth and then draw some conclusions. Selem, image. Now, in the Old Testament, if you participated in the Holy Week Bible reading uh, last week and you drew the, the lot of reading from the Old Testament, there is a theme that prevails across the entire Old Testament that you probably encountered. Idol worship. Idol worship. In the Old Testament, idol worship is a common theme that you can find in just about every book of the Old Testament. And in the ancient Near East, idol worship is a very common practice, and it's a little bit foreign to us in the modern West, because I, I imagine, or at least I hope, that most of you don't have like a little closet in your room with a candle and a cushion to kneel on and a piece of wood or a rock or metal in the shape of an animal or a funky sci-fi creature that you pray to three times a day. But this is very common in the ancient Near East. It's such a common practice. It's so prevalent that many people may not know this, that actually Jacob, the Jacob of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one whose name was changed to Israel, whose family became the people of Israel, Jacob's own household had idols that were worshipped. We know this because of the, the time when Jacob ran away with, from his father-in-law Laban. He gathered up his two wives, his children, his possessions, and ran off to escape from Laban. And Laban comes after them uh, because something has been stolen from him. And we find out that Rachel, Jacob's wife of his own household, had stolen some of the household gods from Laban that, that she was accustomed to worshiping. Idol worship was so prevalent, even the household of Israel had idols. And so we learn a little bit more about the significance of the Ten Commandments. The first two of the Ten Commandments deal with idol worship. Let's read about them in Deuteronomy chapter 5. <clears throat> 
Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's the second time that we receive the Ten Commandments in the Torah. And the first commandment comes in verse 7. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Amongst all the gods that you should worship, that you can worship, you should have no other gods before me. God's saying, Yahweh is saying, I need to be your first love. It's another way we could preach about first love, and we probably will. I need to be your first love. Don't love any other God more than you love me. But the second commandment provides a little more context, and it, it divides, this conversation divides these two commandments in a way that we might not have thought of before. Verse 8, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. In the ancient Near East, in the practice of idol worship, they would bow before an image, a graven image, maybe made out of metal or stone or wood, and they would pray to it and worship, but they weren't actually worshiping the statue. Anybody ever read about idol worship and thought, well, who could be so silly as to pray to a little piece of wood that they carved with their own hands? I've certainly thought that. They're not actually praying to the, the piece of wood itself. In idol worship in the ancient Near East, the graven image was a physical representation, something that they could see and touch with their own hands of a spiritual being. A physical representation of a spiritual being. And so when God says, you shall not make a graven image and you shall have no other gods before me, it communicates something a, a little different. Don't worship any other gods. Don't love any gods more than me. And also, don't make an, a, a physical representation of any gods that you worship. Not even me. And you know why? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make mankind in our image. Salem. To say that you are made in the image of God is to say that you are the physical representation of a spiritual God, a spiritual being. You are the physical representation of God in the world. That hits different. How about likeness? Demuth. Likeness literally means a similitude, or to use a, an English word from this century, similar. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let's make mankind a physical representation of us in the world, and let us make mankind to be similar to we are, how we are. To be similar. To how we are. What does this mean? Well, many of the church fathers, uh, to name a couple, Irenaeus and Justin Martyr, they understand this difference between image and likeness, physical representation and similarity, to be image as what you look like, and likeness to be what you are like in a spiritual sense. 
what you look like in a physical sense and what you are like in a spiritual sense. If image is what you look like and likeness is what you are like, and we think about that, that God made us to be like him, we might have a little bit of a a cringe inside. And where that's coming from is that you feel the tension between how you were made and how you are. If we're honest, I don't know of anyone in this room who would say, I'm similar to God in a spiritual sense. The reason for that comes just a couple chapters after our anchor text for this morning in Genesis chapter 3. We all know the story. Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent comes, and the serpent comes with a lie. They had one rule, don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent tempts with the fruit and says, God knew that if you ate this fruit, you would be like God, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve gave in because they forgot that they already were. They forgot, let us make mankind in our likeness. And we forget this all the time. This fall of Genesis 3 fractured the likeness that the human race was created to bear of Yahweh God. And in that moment, God's favorite thing was taken. And God decided there's nothing he wouldn't do to get us back. We're going to turn to a couple of passages in the New Testament. And I'm really excited because before this week, I've never put them together with Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. But please turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians is written by arguably the greatest theologian ever, the Apostle Paul. And he's talking about Jesus and how Jesus came and rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom, his kingdom of light. And in verse 15, speaking of Jesus, Paul says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now that sounds a little better, right? It's not hard to accept that Jesus is the image, the physical representation of the spiritual being. That Jesus is the physical representation of God in the world. We can see, touch, hear, taste, smell, but what about likeness well turn one page to the left in my bible it's one page philippians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7 
Again, the theologian Apostle Paul is talking about Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And can we get verse 7 on the screen of uh, Philippians chapter 2? Oh, maybe I gave you the wrong one, Isaiah. I apologize. I'm going to start again at verse 6. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus was made in human likeness. If you ever put that together with Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, that we are created in the image and likeness of God, proves God's love, his first love for the human race, that we are his favorite But the fact that Jesus, God himself, was made in human likeness to restore the broken likeness, how can it be? That tension that we feel between our God-given likeness and our reality of how we have lived, how we have experienced the world, how we have moved and had our being, that tension, Jesus took that tension into his own body, his own personhood. He was made in human likeness. Paul sums it up in this way in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's break this down. Humankind was made in Genesis chapter 1 with the image and likeness of God. But then in Genesis chapter 3, that likeness was broken. God's favorite was taken. And so God said, I'm going to come. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever can believe might have eternal life. God said, I'm coming to get my favorite back. And Jesus stepped into the world. The image of the invisible God took on human likeness, became sin for us so that we might once again become the likeness of God. This becoming, it's transformation, it's sanctification, it's this process that from the moment we say yes to the gift of Jesus, we go on this journey, we become once again the likeness of God that we were given in the creation story. By the power of the Holy Spirit in you and the grace of Jesus Christ and the first love of the Father, you are changed. Brothers and sisters, you are God's favorite and this changes the way we live. I want this to change the way that you are. 
I want this to change the way that you confess sin. You are God's favorite. When you confess sin, you don't come to a judge who's angry and about to just lash out at you for what you've done. You come to God as his favorite. And so when you come to confess sin, I want you to come expecting love and forgiveness. I want this to change the way that you pray. When you come to God in prayer, when you ask for things, you're coming to God as his favorite. You don't have to ask for things and say, God, I know you probably don't care too much about this, but it would mean a lot to me. You come as his favorite. He looks at your needs and he is pleased to provide all that you need. When you pray, when you ask, I want you to come in as as his favorite. And last, I want this to change the way that you love. When you come into the world and love, And when you go and love, you go as God's favorite. You don't have to worry about putting other people down so that you can be lifted up. You don't have to be jealous of what other people have or who other people seem to be. You don't have to earn acceptance. You go as God's favorite, and that frees you up to love completely. 1 John 4.19, our annual theme for this year. We love because he first loved us. Let us pray. God, we've experienced many things that tell us we are not your favorite. We have all shared in the original temptation of Adam and Eve, the temptation to believe that you don't really, truly, fully love us, and that there's something we can do, some other path that can help us capture what it is we so desperately need. We've all faced this, God. And because of this, it's become very difficult to accept that you love us not just as equal with the rest of creation, that you love us not just when we're bearing well our image and likeness of you, but that you love us in our sinful state with a broken likeness enough to send a rescuer to restore that likeness that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, help our hearts believe. Help our hearts believe how deeply, how powerfully, how completely you love us and silence any voice that speaks otherwise. Holy Spirit, as you testify to our own spirit that we are God's children, let it change us. Let it change the way that we come in confession. Let it change the way that we come in presenting our needs to you. 
and let it change the way that we go. And we thank you for this unbelievable truth. And Lord, as we continue in worship and move into a time of offering, we ask your blessing. We ask that you would bless the gifts that are given, that you would multiply them and send them out to bear fruit in your kingdom. And we pray that you would bless the givers, that they would be blessed with the experience of freedom that comes from giving things away generously. You can have our hearts, God. Thank you, Jesus.